0: their pitch is a women's football
1: podcast in collaboration with adidas who recently released a new shoe called predator edge and the really cool thing about this is that it's four female football players that are the front face of this campaign mia what do you think about that and can you tell us a little bit about these players
2: i think it's great that they have uh, these four big profiles uh, that that are fronting the campaign uh, i it's Wendy Renard, it's Tony Duggan, Abby Dahlkemper, and Christiane Endler. Yeah,
1: and, w- and what I think is really cool is that they found this this mix of different leagues, but also different nationalities in these players, and I think that's really cool. I mean, you have Wendy Renard, who's from France, Abby Dahlkemper, who's US, uh, Christiane Endler, who's Chile, and Tony Duggan, who's English, and I think that's really, really cool.
2: The sixth episode of Their Pitch gives you our first non-Scandi or Nordic player. In this episode, we are joined by a Canadian Olympic gold medalist who sure knows how to score from the spot. This week's Their Pitch player is Chelsea's Jessie Fleming. Fleming can play most positions across the midfield, and in this podcast, she tells us that she sees herself as a number eight. Fleming made her debut in Canada's senior national team when she was 15 years old and she has played two World Cups and two Olympic tournaments. After playing college football at the UCLA Bruins, a football program at the University of California, she moved across the pond to London and joined Chelsea. Since joining Chelsea in the summer of 2020, she has made 50 appearances for the Blues. Fleming has also earned 94 caps for Canada, and she has scored 14 goals. When this introduction is being recorded, Fleming is playing the Arnold Clark Cup with Canada, which will most likely add to those stats. You are listening to Their Pitch, and this is the Jesse Fleming episode.
1: It's Tuesday and we're here with our first guest that's a non-Scandinavian player, Jesse Fleming. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you for being on. We're super excited um, to talk to you about, you know, we want to get to know you, who you are on the field and off the field. But we're going to start off with an, an a quote from somebody who knows you very well and then you'll just have to guess who it is. Okay. And it goes, "Jessie is one of the smartest, most tactically sound players that I've that I've played with. The way she thinks about the game is very clearly seen in the way she plays. She's a smooth, highly skilled and savvy midfielder who is at the center of creativity in any team she plays in. She has an eye for goals and creating for others. Off the field, she's one of the kindest souls I've ever been around." an incredible and loyal friend and an unmatched teammate. Oh my God. Those are some pretty nice words. Wow.
3: Okay. Can you tell me if it's a Chelsea teammate or a Canadian teammate? Am I allowed to ask for that hint?
1: Yeah. uh, It's a Canadian teammate.
3: Really? Okay. Well, I'm off to a bad start because I thought it was a Chelsea teammate. (laughs) 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 Oh gosh. Is it... Is it Janine Becky? Yes. Yeah.
1: That was a good hit. And you took it yeah. on that hit. Well,
3: yeah, I mean, we're we're quite close. We've had a close relationship for a number of years. And yeah, I think those were some very kind words. So yeah. Yeah, Janine and I are quite close.
1: We were like, do we tell her it's a it's a player who plays in in like the sky blue colors, and you know, that she's not she probably wasn't happy last week, yeah. and you know, so on. So we had a few clues in store. Yeah. But Jesse, you grew up in Canada, London, Ontario. Mm -hmm. What possibilities were there in Canada regarding access to play football as a kid? Uh,
3: There were lots of opportunities. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, I started out kind of how everyone starts out in Canada. I think a lot of parents put their kids in hockey in the winter and, football or soccer in the summer. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up playing soccer in London and then, um, actually eventually was coached by my dad from age, I think like 10 to 15, probably just on a local team. Um, and I played in an older age group, but yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And then as I got a bit older, I played with, uh, almost like a satellite group of players from London who um, were also playing on Team Ontario, which is like a provincial team. Um, It's kind of like a pathway to get into the national program. So I really enjoyed that too, because I got to play with a number of um, boys and then girls who were older than me. Um, So I was actually training with Shalina Zdorsky a little bit when I was probably 12 or 13 and she would have been 17 or 18. So I think that was Cool for me just to have those opportunities to play with older players and boys in London a lot when I was growing up.
1: And when you started, you know, when you came up in the national team, a lot of people or I read in the media that you're described as a kind of like a young Sinclair, Christine Sinclair, who happens to be the greatest player in Canadian football. Um, did you feel like as a kid that people around you saw that potential early and encouraged you to go for it, or did you just enjoy it and have fun along the way?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's, like, those are quite heavy words. I, I think I don't always like it when younger players get compared to players like Sinclair or, um, yeah, I don't know. They just get, they get compared to some of the best players in the world. Like, I think it's an absolute compliment. And I think when people say that, they maybe refer more to our demeanor and that we're both, um, I think quite more on the quiet side and, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I take that as a huge compliment just because I know what a good leader Sink is and what a good person she is. I don't think I necessarily took that as me needing to fall into her role on the field. Like I think I was kind of able to go my own route in terms of discovering the, the player I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to get to the level Sink was at, Um and I think that's something that you know, all of us younger players aspired to when we got on the national team because she had kind of set that standard for years. So I think for me, I just took that more as a a compliment in terms of what kind of person she was and her demeanor and how she treated her teammates. And in that same way, I think she set the standard for us younger players, just, you know, how how we're supposed to act
1: um, on a team. Did you as a kid, did you always dream of becoming a professional footballer?
3: At at some point, it definitely creeped into my imagination. I think growing up in Canada, um, I played boys hockey. I played a lot of hockey. So I think at some point there was dreams of playing in the NHL, but uh, realized that that wasn't going to work out. Um, And yeah, I think when I got to the age of 12 or 13, got more serious and, and more invested in soccer and um, like I said, I was a part of the provincial team and we actually went on a trip to Spain when I was 13, I think, and played against Barcelona's academy and got to see Messi and Iniesta play at Camp Nou. And I think a bunch of things kind of, um, were happening in my life that made me fall in love with, with football more. And, um, eventually it became my, my primary sport and started really working at it.
1: And then you chose a route that, most people choose in North America. You choose. You chose uh, college football. You <laughs> yeah. played for. You played for UCLA. Mm-hmm. How's that uh, to kind of like come in and play college football, knowing that you had already debuted for the national team?
3: Yeah, it was good. I mean, like you said, it's a fairly traditional route for North American players. Um, I think for me, uh, I, I grew up in a family where academics were um, emphasized and um, I, I knew that I wanted to go to school and, you know, I, I know that I have a life after football and, um, I was really passionate and interested in, in getting a degree and yeah. And then I think I was really lucky. I mean, I went to UCLA and made some, made some really close friends and I think learned a lot about myself and, you know, how I was able to balance school and football and, um, you know, playing with the national team at the same time. And, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm definitely, definitely a proud Bruin.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm happy to hear that. Um, Mallory Pugh at the time played with you at UCLA too. Uh, she dropped out and went full-time professional. Did you ever think you, you emphasize a lot on, you know uh, how important it is with a degree, but did you ever consider dropping out or was it like, I'm sticking to this and I'm doing this full out?
3: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I definitely considered the opportunity to, to maybe go, pro earlier i think i'm definitely the type of person who second guesses myself so it was definitely played at the back of my mind even while i was in school um just questioning whether it was the right thing for me but i think in hindsight you know i'm happy that i stuck it out and was able to complete my degree but i think for mal and i think for other players it's an individual decision and um it just yeah it just comes down to what the individual wants and what makes the most sense for them um but yeah, ultimately for me, I'm I'm glad I I stuck it out and finished my degree, and yeah, feel really lucky that my career was still able to progress and for for where I'm at now.
1: Speaking of like where you're at now, you have an Olympic gold medal, um, you have a bronze medal from Rio in 2016. Uh, you're stacking up the medals a lot, but you started with the national team at 15 15 years old. Uh, you have 94 caps and 80 starts, and you're 24 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Turning 24
3: soon. Still 23. Still hanging on to 23. <laughs> Still hanging
1: on. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you must be proud of that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think, I think sometimes in football and in sports, it's hard to stop and appreciate what you've done. I think because it's such a performance driven environment, you're always kind of thinking about what you want to improve on next. And, not necessarily thinking about what you haven't won, but yeah, just what, you know, how can I get better? What, what else is there out there? Like, you know, what do I want to do next? So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really cool for, for our national program with what we've accomplished. But saying that, I think there's also a sentiment within the group that we want to perform better at the World Cup and perform better consistently, um, in international tournaments. So I think even with us, there's definitely not, a feeling of overwhelming satisfaction. It's more so, you know, how can we top this and how can we continue to the grow, grow the game back in Canada? So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm definitely proud of what I've accomplished and how far I've come as an individual, but I also definitely focused a lot of the time on, you know, what I can be doing to improve my game and, um, yeah, even in- improve the larger game.
1: Do you feel like people um, kind of counted you out at the Olympics in Tokyo. You feel like people kind of thought that you were going to win there. Did you feel like you guys kind of were?
3: Uh, I mean, I I definitely think people considered us an underdog. I think I think you know based on our recent history, I think it would be silly if a team were to completely count us out. Um, but I think you know most importantly within our group, there was a strong belief that we could outdo our performances in the past and take a step or two up on the podium and and that's what we wanted and all of the dialogue around the team for the years building up to the olympics was that we wanted to win gold and we believe we could if we executed our game plan and you know if the soccer gods were on our side and they were that tournament so um yeah i don't know i think most importantly there was a belief within our group that that we could achieve what we did
1: and, and you have a, I mean, you play a vital part uh, throughout uh, the Olympics, but you also have a very important part in in uh, the Canadian national team. Is it a lot of pressure for somebody that young to f- to
3: have that on you? Or I don't know if I would use the word pressure. I think one of the things that, you know, makes our group so special is, and I think a reason why some of our younger players can, function and and feel confident in some of these bigger moments is that there's just really a strong trust and belief within the players, um, in each other. You know, I think going into the tournament, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of positive reinforcement, um, from within our group. And so any pressure that comes from the outside kind of gets squandered, um, from within our group. Yeah. I I just think we, we believe in each other quite a lot Mm and, My teammates always had, you know, positive things and supportive things to say throughout the tournament. And I knew that if I, you know, worked my hardest and did my best to execute my role, that my teammates would be proud of me, regardless of, you know, what the, the outcome was. So, um, yeah, I, I think in our group, we just talk a lot about some of the non-negotiables that aren't necessarily like scoring goals or the end the end goal is more about the process. And, you know, if I'm committed to being a good teammate and I work hard on the pitch, I execute my role and I'm focused, then I think that's that's all we ask of each other.
1: You're playing the Arnold Clark Cup and it's the first time it's being played. Uh, how exciting is that? And what will it give to Canada in terms of chances to get to play against these opponents? I mean, you're playing Germany, Spain and England. Those are some world-class teams along with Canada, of course.
3: Yeah, I think... I think our group is, is really excited going into it. I think we really enjoy any time that we get to play against these big teams because, you know, I think it's the truest, truest measure of where the team is at and what needs to improve. And, um, and I, I think I also think that these games really bring out the best in you as a player. Um, yeah, I don't know. They just, they challenge you. The, the game is going to be faster and more physical than maybe if you're playing a less competitive country and, So I think it'll be really good for us to just get a gauge on where we're at and what we need to focus on, you know, moving forward going into World Cup qualifiers and in the World Cup in a year. So
1: I think the group's excited. And we move on to club. You play for Chelsea in the women's super league. What would you say the biggest difference is that football wise, like college football to professional European football? Um Can you even
3: compare those two? Yeah, I mean I mean I think it's I think it's I think it's hard to compare. I think there's a lot of differences. I mean, to begin with in professional football, everyone is a professional and everybody wants to be there every day and wants to do the extra stuff. And there's maybe less distractions in terms of school and um, kind of managing that workload. Um, and then, yeah, I think with that, because everyone is professional and a lot of teams are playing in, or sorry, a lot of players are playing in national team environments. that The technical quality of players, the tactical understanding of players is, it's just higher. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the play is just quicker. Players are more physical because, you know, they've had more time to develop. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a big step from, um, playing in university.
1: And you're a midfielder uh, on the field. Could you tell us a story about how you ended up playing in that position?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when I was younger, I played, I think for the most part, I've always played kind of an attacking mid position. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's just where I've always, that's, I think that's where I've always been put. I've, I've always had a bit of an engine. So I think, um, naturally coaches kind of put me in that space where, I was able to, you know, both attack and, and help the team defend as well. Um, and that's always been one of my strengths. Um, and yeah, I, I, I guess I just, yeah, I mean, I've always liked it. So I'm happy to stay there. No goalkeeping at all. Definitely not. My. <laughs> I think my dad is five six or five seven and my mom is five two, so anyone looking at my parents on the sideline kept me far away from the net. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never a goalkeeper, yeah.
1: Never a goalkeeper. Never a goalkeeper
2: or a center back, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm just gonna go from the script just a tiny little bit, because you said that you said something about Canada going into the Olympics sort of like the underdog. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if, if people looked at Canada that way. But I feel like watching Canada play is like Sweden played a lot in, um, in, in Rio when uh, the Olympics was in Rio. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's very even games whenever you guys play each other. And I feel it's it's kind of similar because you Canada is very good at defending like a unit yeah and and you talk a lot about the fact that Canada is like I feel when you talk about Canada and and you really are a team that works for each other,
3: yeah for sure I'm mean, yeah I think I think it's one of our biggest strengths like yeah, I mean we love playing teams that maybe are higher than us on the FIFA rankings, but like we feel that our unit on any given day can beat any country in the world. And I think just like our, our belief in each other as teammates and um, I think it really goes a long way for us. And it's definitely what gets us through challenging tournaments like the Olympics, you know? Um, So yeah, yeah, I definitely think we have confidence in, in our unit as a group. Not necessarily like as the makeup of individuals, but we feel that our unit is can be better than any other team on a given day.
2: Yeah, we saw that obviously. Yeah, like it—it it was a very nervous game to watch uh, as a Swede. Yeah, because somewhere along the line, you can really, when you watch football, like really watch football and analyze it. I could really feel that. Okay, this is Sweden. Uh, in a way because we always talk about Sweden like the mm-hmm. team it's the team that does the yeah. work and a lot you can watch around I mean it's it's a lot of the, the, in the debate right now that individuals are very important for some teams but like watching the national teams then you can really yeah. feel that it's it's the whole team that is the unit and the engines of yeah. what's happening.
3: Yeah no for sure and I, I think with us there's definitely an understanding that you know each player has their role to play and and nobody is above that role no matter what that role is like you know Christine Saint-Clair will defend and do her job defensively because that's her role within our team she's not above defending and you know Ashley Lawrence who is an attacking fullback gets back and joins up in the back line when she needs to defend even though she probably wants to attack and and get high and you know everyone plays their role and yeah nobody's nobody's above their role on the team regardless of what that role is
2: so if we just look at at you as a footballer uh with your own words, describe your role and position out on the pitch from how you look at yourself as a player
3: I think i would I think I would describe myself as a number eight in the traditional numbering system. I don't think I'm quite a number ten, but I also don't consider myself a holding midfielder um I think. Um, the type of player that can get box to box and kind of join our back line and our front line in the attack, whether that's through, you know, playing passes in behind or, you know, being able to turn and combine in midfield and, um, definitely have my hand in, um, goal scoring, whether that's, you know, playing the pass to set up an assist or playing the assist and then scoring every now and then. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I think at least you know for Canada yeah and just in general I think I'm kind of a link player um that kind of binds the attack to the defense um but then yeah I think I'm, I'm also willing to work hard off the ball and can win the ball back for the team in in central areas when we're pressing and yeah I think that's what I'd say it's,
2: it's hard to describe yourself as a player yeah you're too humble maybe but I do feel that often coaches and and people who watch football talks a lot about the fact that footballers need to be more flexible now uh, in a way do you think that that is something that has changed since you started playing like like you say as you see yourself perhaps like a number eight but during the years you have had to be flexible do you think that it's something that has changed
3: Sure. To be honest, like when I first started on the national team, uh, the head coach was John Herdman. And one of his biggest philosophies was that our team was always going to be, you know, more adaptable and more flexible than other teams. So I think I was exposed to having to play multiple positions or multiple variations of my position quite early. Um, and even being able to understand and play different formations. Um, yeah, he was quite, tactically um, sophisticated and he wanted to be more prepared than any other team so I think I was exposed to that at quite a young age but um, yeah I mean I'd say more and more teams are you know more tactically sophisticated and there's more going into like analysis of the game and um, you know, you can even see it within the WSL how different teams, you know, play us at Chelsea differently and how we're having to adapt from game to game depending on the opponent and what they're doing. So yeah, I definitely think, you know, maybe there's more of a requirement for players to 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 be more flexible and
2: and even adapt within games. Can there be any negatives to the fact that some players have to like switch around in different position and take on different different roles every time, not just to focus on. Like if you're a centre back, that's where you are.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what position you're you're talking about. I think maybe there's less adaptation asked of a centre back because um, their position might be a little bit more solid. But I think just in general, when it comes to individual development, if you're at a younger age, it can be hard if you're constantly changing positions. Um, just hard to know like what you're measuring yourself against or even for me growing up, you know, I always loved watching Iniesta and he was kind of the player that I wanted to emulate. So I think if you're watching other players and sometimes it can be hard if you're having to switch positions or not really sure what you're measuring yourself against. But I also think it's valuable just in terms of getting perspective on maybe what other players see when you're in that position. So if I move to winger, and, you know, a midfielder tries to play me a pass. Like I'm seeing that pass from a different perspective and understanding my relationship with that player better. Um, so, yeah, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. Um, I definitely think it's valuable to be flexible as a player and just understand the game, not just from your position, but how other players might see the game from their perspective on the pitch. And, Yeah that's what i would say
2: but i mean analysis and you know tactics are all about information Mm -hmm. so how do you as a player like if you play right winger in one game and then the week after you have to play more of a defensive number eight Mm -hmm. uh, i mean how do you how do you handle that and prepare for it maybe i'm yeah how do you prepare for for those things I mean, I
3: think a lot of it comes down to just having an understanding of what the team strategy is um, and kind of what your role is in that strategy. I think knowing what kind of spaces you want to find yourself in or even considering what players you're playing with and what their tendencies might even be within that shape. Um, yeah, I think it can be a bit overwhelming at times if you don't have a lot of time to adapt. But again, at the end of the day, I think just as a player, it's your responsibility maybe to have those extra conversations with coaches and try to get a feel for what they expect of you in a given role. Um, and then just having little conversations with your, your teammates on the pitch who are playing near you. And um, if things don't work in training the day before the game, trying to understand why and fix those problems. And yeah, I, I definitely think it's something that's more challenging in a club environment because you're playing so many games and, so many different opponents so you do have to be flexible like that so i think there's a lot of value in just having little conversations with teammates and coaches um and trying to figure out what works and just how to make little tweaks to really get the most out of whatever the team strategy is that week
2: and and also about this if we're talking about positions like we Often we can, we can say that, oh, this is a modern fullback. It wasn't like this five years ago. Now the modern fullback has to have these abilities and, and so on. Do you think that the midfield position has changed in any way since you started playing in that way?
3: I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think I would say so. I don't particularly like when people try and put players in boxes and say, you know, a number eight has to do this, this and this. A number 10 has to do this, this and this. I think if I were looking at it from the perspective of a manager, I think it's about playing to your player's strengths. Um and trying to build a team where, you know, those strengths complement each other on the pitch. So yeah, I don't know, I def- yeah, I definitely understand the argument of, you know, you need some big physical players on a pitch for some games. Um but yeah, it it doesn't mean that you have to be big and physical to, to play a certain position. Um, so I think it's just about managing the players you have on your team and just striking that balance between physical attributes, tactical attributes, technical attributes, um, and yeah, being flexible and being able to morph that from game to game. But yeah, I don't don't think, I don't think it's necessarily the best thing when we say that a number seven should have these traits and a number nine should have these traits. I think, yeah, I, I just think it's about like complementing players within your team and, um, trying to balance attributes.
2: This is so interesting because I read, uh, the football analysis course on FC Barcelona University last summer. Mm-hmm. And then we just, we just, one part of the course was individual fundamentals, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, what has a number, what has a number seven? And a, yeah, so I was, yeah, yeah, I think that, but, but I think you're right because yeah. it's like, i mean i watched chelsea a lot and and you guys are very fluid sometimes you can't Mm -hmm. even tell in the beginning of a game like okay yeah what position is this player play today so it's it's interesting that way
3: yeah i think well i think there's a balance like i do i do understand maybe the conventional barcelona philosophy and i do think that there's certain attributes that players need to have in certain positions like you know, you want your center backs to be good in the air and you want them to be able to distribute over short and long range. And you probably want your midfielders to, to work hard and be physically fit. Um, so I do think that there's certain requirements of positions. Um, but I also think there's a lot of room for fluidity. And, you know, if you have a winger who maybe likes to dribble and cut in more versus one who's more of a crosser, like, you know, I don't think there's one right type of player for a given position
2: no i I actually agree with that but if you're if we're looking at the position you play if you're going out to play a game what information do you think is the most important for you that can affect your role and your performance um what is the most important thing you need to know
3: i mean i think a lot of what i focus on as an individual is just you know what are the opponent's tendencies um, in terms of what shape do they typically press in and once the game starts you know what shape are they pressing us in and then just tendencies of you know whether their midfielders like to step out and cheat higher on our midfielders or their fullbacks are really aggressive or they're really protective of the channel I think just a little information of how the opponent typically plays and then based on that you know what spaces do I want to be able to get into and try and exploit, um, you know, if a team plays with a really high back line, can I try and find passes in behind? Or if they're very conservative, then maybe we're looking for off the front. And then also I think like playing to the strengths of our players on the pitch. So who am I playing with and, you know, what kind of passes or, or how can I support them or yeah, how can I get the most out of my partnerships on the pitch?
2: media and fans uh, are a lot about numbers and statistics do you do you as a player care about statistics uh, and if so is there any particular number you care more for than others
3: it's funny I actually I actually had a conversation with uh pernila harder about this last week we were yeah we were talking about statistics and saying how they can at times be helpful and sometimes be harmful if Maybe you're putting too much weight, I think, on certain statistics such as like goals or assists and letting that dictate completely your feeling about how you've performed. Um, but that being said, I also really value, um, data. And in the past, when I've, you know, even now when I've looked at parts of my game that I'm trying to improve or work at, I I rely a lot on statistics. Um, but for me, I think an important piece, and and this is what Pranila was kind of talking to me about was just focusing on statistics that are more based on process and not result. So where an assist or a goal might be a result, um, thinking about, you know, how many forward passes did I attempt or how many times was I able to turn and play forward versus playing backwards or sideways, um, Yeah, like how many times did my first touch break a line? Or um yeah, I I think for me as a as a midfielder, I think I'd probably look at stats around, you know, am I creating, am I making the most of my touches, or am I just playing safe and, and playing backwards and sideways today? I think it's kind of about that, like teetering on that risk versus reward. You know, I don't I think if I step off the pitch and my passing percentage is ninety five. Then I don't consider that necessarily a successful match because maybe I haven't taken enough risk in trying to play balls behind the back line or trying to create chances for the team. So yeah, I, I, d- I definitely value statistics, but I also think they can they can be dangerous if if you're letting certain stats dictate your your feeling and how you're um, kind of grading your performance.
2: If that makes sense it it makes a lot of sense and this makes me makes me so happy as well because one part uh, about what why we are doing this podcast is actually about you know i wouldn't say educating people who listens but also in a way i feel kind of sick myself at i mean fans and and media always just focusing on goals and assists and and stuff yeah. like that and you have to really be careful about how you use numbers and in which context you are putting them. Um, so, yeah, that was a very good answer. For-
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You yeah, I think. You said statistics can
1: be quite harmful sometimes in in what way could could it be harmful? Well, I just
3: think I think if all your grading or evaluating your performance on or goals and assists, I think I've seen players play excellent games and be a critical part of their team's success. And maybe they didn't score or get an assist. And so I think if, yeah, I think if you're letting kind of the opinions of the media, which do focus a lot on goals and assists determine, I think it can hinder your, your self-confidence and, um, you know, I think if you're getting for me as an attacking player, if I'm getting in the box and I'm getting in the right spaces and I'm trying to create chances, it doesn't always come off. So if I feel quite poorly about my performance after a match, just because I didn't score or get an assist, then I just don't, yeah, I just don't think that that's very productive. And I think as a player, maybe you start to focus too much on the end result and less about the process. And I think that that ultimately gets in the way of your mental performance and your your confidence on the pitch.
2: So, in, in which uh, tactical aspect do you feel like you you've grown or learned learned the most during your career so far? Uh, in which
3: tactical aspect?
2: Yeah. Um. We're going deeper into football nerding.
3: I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, I, I feel. I mean, I I've, I've learned a lot so far. I still feel like I have a lot to learn, but I think.
2: I don't know. I don't know if I could like pinpoint one thing. You can take two, th- two things as well. That's fine.
3: I think from Canada, I've definitely learned a lot about like defensive tactics and how to nullify another team's threats um, from like starting from the front press to moving to the back line. Like, I think, like I said earlier, we, we, take a lot of pride in being very prepared for matches and are able to switch between multiple defensive formations within a given match. And I think I have a good understanding of, you know, what those the weaknesses of those formations are and also the strengths of those formations. Um, And I think that's important because now when I play other teams and I see that they're in one of those formations, I have the perspective as a player of saying, well, when I defend like this, I hate it when this happens to me. And so when I, when you look at another team and you see that they're doing something, you learn as a player what sort of patterns or what type of play really affects that formation and maybe what I would hate to defend, if that makes sense. Um, or even when we talk about having to play multiple positions, you know, having the perspective of I know what is really annoying when I'm defending as a winger. And so then when I'm playing on the other team, maybe I'll do that as a midfielder. And I know how frustrating it can be when I'm a winger or even having conversations with defenders and understanding what they're thinking is in a certain situation. And so then when that situation happens, I'm thinking, okay, I know what the defender's thinking. So how can I kind of challenge them in that way? Um, so yeah, I think just kind of the ability to put yourself in the perspective of the opponent and think if I were them, how would how would you play us or what would you consider to be our weaknesses and then how can we try and um kind of yeah I don't know play to our strengths and then similarly if I see another team playing a certain way or I know I'm playing against a certain type of player then just trying to think what do they not want me to do or yeah I I think I think the ability to switch perspectives um is something that Again, I'll, I'll bring up John Herdman, but something that he talked about a lot.
2: Okay, last question. Who's going to win the Euros?
3: I don't know. We've been we've been talking about this a bit around Chelsea just cuz I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to support this summer because obviously I have teammates. Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Yeah, I do like the Swedes. I like what the Swedes are about. But I feel like if I say any of the countries that I have teammates on that I might get in trouble.
2: You can say three.
3: I can say three. Okay. Yeah, you can say three teams.
2: <laughs> say it. <laughs> I, I,
3: I do feel like there's some extra expectation on the Swedish team this summer. So I'm interested to see, um, how that plays out. I think maybe the, the more people are appreciating the quality they have in their group. Um, and I think something, that's always been their X factor is maybe being the underdogs, but I don't necessarily feel like they're underdogs going into this summer. Um, but I will say the Swedes and I'm going to say Spain. And, and I'll, uh, I want to say the Netherlands. I don't know who my third is. I'll just keep it at, I'll just keep it at Sweden and Spain. Good choices. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm really not sure though. I th- I think it's gonna be a good tournament. I'm excited. I'm really excited to watch. Yeah,
1: I feel like it's gonna be a tight race. I mean, Germany's definitely up there. The Netherlands, Spain has something really good going on with Barcelona. I mean, half their team is Barcelona players. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I just I just think it'll be interesting to see how some of these like for example, Spain, how they manage the expectations, because I do think a lot of people have been hyping them up and they rightfully deserve the hype. But um, yeah, I don't know there's, it'll be interesting. I'm excited to watch the, the tournament.
1: Yeah. We have some questions from listeners, obviously a lot of some from, some, from from some listeners, not, I mean, I wish we could take all of them, <laughs> but there's a lot of questions sent in about penalty taken. I mean, you broke my heart two times. I'm fine with oh. that. Now I've healed thankfully. But Dean Mears wants to know, how do you keep calm and high pressure situations such as taking penalties in Olympic finals? And are you remembering analysis given to you by coaches or something else?
3: I think a lot of the reason why our team was successful um, in penalties this summer comes down to just preparation um, I think going into a big tournament, we realized that although we don't want to end up, um, in a penalty shootout, that it's a very real possibility. And so it was something that we practiced as a team in the build-up to the Olympics. Um, so I had a very clear routine that was the same every time. And I think having that consistency is one thing that's calming, I think. Another thing that I really focused on was just my self-talk, trying to convince myself that I wanted to be in that situation. Um, so, yeah, you know, just the way I was speaking to myself before I was taking the PK. Um, and then I think just being confident in where I was going to put it, not second-guessing it, knowing that, you know, it's my job as the shooter to give the keeper the hardest time and if I put it in the spot I want to and the keeper makes a great save then so be it and I think another part again just goes back to our group at Canada and our belief in each other and I knew that my teammates trusted me in that situation I knew that they'd have my back if I missed the PK and you know, it, it wasn't, it was never like, it was never an individual taking the PK. Like it was, I, yeah, again, there was just a very distinct belief in our team. And, um, I, I think the one in the U S game, when Sink handed me the ball, she just said like, you know, we've, we've got your back, like re- regardless of what happens, they no, they nobody was going to be mad at me if I missed. Um, so I, I think a lot of it just comes down to my teammates and, um, their Their trust, and then also the the preparation
1: um, that went into it individually. As like a person, are you more nervous taking the penalty, or you know, standing on the shoot line, in the in the sideline when there's a shootout? I
3: think it's like a it's a different kind of nervousness. I think the thing I don't like about penalties is that it does come down to individuals, and somebody has to make a mistake. And I, I think that that is a I just, I don't know. I think it's a very tough way to win or lose a game. Um, like I said, it's not something we wanted to have to do going into the tournament, but obviously something is part of the game and something you have to prepare for. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I would choose. I would probably choose neither, but I, I get nervous. I get nervous about this. It's not to say that I don't get nervous. I was extremely nervous for all of the PKs. I think it's just having the ability to manage those nerves and not let them overtake you in that situation and ultimately just you know put the ball somewhere in the frame of goal and force the
2: keeper to to make a to make a save. I think uh, Thea Hammarqvist got her answer on her question as well so we'll leave that. Uh, but Danny Legan Gonzalez uh, wants to know uh, how much do you feel Chelsea have helped you improve as a player
3: yeah a lot Um a lot a lot I think I think just being around players who are at that next level players like Pernilla and So Young and Fran and Melly and you know the list goes on and on and you know even our defenders having to play against Millie Bright and Jess Carter and Yana and Meg and all these great defenders every day in training. I think, you know, that's one of the things that makes our environment special is that we have a lot of really good players. And I think we, we push each other in training, just in, you know, the quality that's demanded and, um, just the special moments that have to be created in order to get a goal or to do something special in training. Um, so yeah, I think, I think in, in this environment, I'm, Definitely really inspired by my teammates just with the level that they're at and being able to learn from from these players. Um, and then also the tactical piece, just playing in a league that's at a faster pace and, and more physical and having to play against teams who play different styles um, every week has definitely taught me um, lots on the tactical side of the game. So yeah, I think yeah, I think I've learned and grown quite a lot since, since I've been here and yeah, hopefully we'll continue to.
1: Ashley Sims wants to know, you've spoken in the past that having a sports psych on team Canada has helped you a lot. Do you see this as a standard for football clubs or for all athletes now? Yeah, for
3: sure. I mean, I think in my opinion, yeah, I I don't, I don't think the value of a sports psych can be understated i know for canada for myself and a number of my teammates it's it's been really valuable um just an asset to our group i think like i said having someone who's able to help you kind of navigate situations like a penalty shootout in an olympic final and how you're dealing with some of the mental thoughts that are creeping into your mind or um just building processes that allow you to perform at a more consistent level on a more regular basis. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, I think it's, I think it's invaluable and, um, I've really enjoyed using that resource over the years and yeah, again, I think just kind of developing the ability to deal with certain feelings and emotions that are brought about as, being a part of a group and, you know, maybe sometimes you're not playing, maybe you're going through spells where you're not scoring or you're not playing your best or, or even when you're trying to develop a new skill or trying to develop something, it's hard because you're probably going to fail at it for a while. And being able to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and focus on the process of what you're doing versus focusing on goals and what the media are saying, or all of these externalities that are outside of your control I think our sports psych was always, yeah, I don't know, just, a always had wise words for how to navigate some of these situations that come up in, in professional sports. And, you know, for me, it's also been really valuable and applicable to, to my everyday life and just how I deal with challenging situations, um, and not letting, not letting my emotions or kind of that inner voice inside my head get the best of me. Um, at least as best I can. I mean, I still, I still work with the sports psych and, um, it's something I think is really valuable and I still have a lot to improve on with that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's becoming a, a bigger part of, a bigger part of the game and a bigger part of sports. And, um, I, I definitely believe in it.
2: And at CFC blogs underscore wants to know, uh, after playing in the WSL in England, and winning the gold medal with canada at the olympics what do you wish for for the growth of women's football in canada
3: yeah i mean i think i think it's been i think it's been really cool to see players like janine and and kadisha and ashley and, and jordan come over to europe and and have success here and play in the top leagues i think I think it would just be cool to, to be able to get more Canadian players in, in top leagues and, um, you know, eventually even get a few teams or a league of our own where, you know, players aren't deciding to quit playing at 16 or 17 because there's not enough avenues for them to continue to pursue football in their own country. Um, yeah, I think just more opportunities for, Girls who are kind of on that bridge. Um, you know, maybe they're not necessarily in the national team environment, but they're still passionate about playing. And I think just more opportunities within Canada for them to be able to do that and um, develop their game and just, yeah.
1: Only Woso on Twitter wants to know what are the cultural differences among Canada, the United States, and England? And how does this affect the way? Each country views the game from your point of view.
3: I think in North America, the game is probably viewed in a similar way. I think the biggest difference that I found and one of the reasons why I really wanted to come play in Europe is because there's such a long and rich history of the game. Um, whereas in North America, I think sometimes like a lot of the time soccer is overshadowed by other sports i think here english fans live and breathe football um they're so passionate about their clubs they support the same club for life and they watch them play week in and week out um and i just think that's really cool like i, I think it's almost a religion in some european countries and i don't think well no it, it hasn't reached that degree in north america um so, yeah, I think just like the tactical brain of the average citizen in England is is probably a lot more advanced than that of one in North America. And I just think it's really unique how passionate people here are about their clubs and just how much, yeah, how much pride they take in, in wearing the jersey and supporting their club. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's on TV constantly, um, so yeah, I, th- I think there's just more hysteria, and there's just a richer history of the sport over here.
2: Let's go with at Meg Ahern. What has been your favorite moment so far, play playing for Chelsea? Yeah,
3: I mean, there's yeah, there's definitely a couple that stand out. I think I think winning the WSL title last year was quite cool. Um, and I think you know, in those moments after you've won a trophy, just being able to celebrate with your teammates and, you know, especially that one, because it was the end of the season and we were able to maybe just sit back and appreciate the year that had gone by a little bit better. Um, so I, I think that was cool. And I think the last couple games we played and actually just having more fans and, and fans back at Kings Meadow has been really nice um, because my first year here, there was quite a few fixtures where there were no fans. So yeah, I, I think just having fans back and just that atmosphere at our home field on a, whatever, Wednesday night um, is is really special. Um,
1: yeah, that's what I would say. Coco Chante wants to know, growing up, did you have any idols?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I think growing up, I watched a lot of Barcelona with my dad and Iniesta has always kind of yeah I mean I he's always been the player that I've been in love with um and someone who I've tried to emulate a little bit in in my game so him I think Marta I remember when I was 11 or 12 my older brother made me a collage um it was a bunch of pictures of Marta and Pele that he put on a poster board and laminated for me that I put up in my room um And then, you know, I also had idols outside of football. I used to be obsessed with NHL goaltenders. Um, Who else? Like Simon Whitfield, a bunch of Canadian athletes, like triathletes or marathoners. Um, But yeah, I'd say within football, Marta and Iniesta for sure.
1: When you you say NHL uh, uh, goalkeepers, uh, my mind immediately goes to Jordan Bennington, but I assume, I mean, he wasn't in in it for for that period of time but as a as a as a blues fan yeah my mind just immediately goes to Bennington yeah
3: yeah well well my my uncle played in the NHL for a little bit um as a goaltender so I think that's probably where that came from and yeah like I grew up playing boys hockey and my brother and I were always playing mini sticks in our basement and growing up in Canada hockey's quite big so Um yeah, I I think I had posters of like Carrie Price and Roberto Luengo on my wall at home. I love Um, that.
2: Yeah. Well, at Chelsea Tilly wants to know what has been your favorite game so far for club but also for country?
3: One of my favorite games for club was probably the FA Cup win against Arsenal recently. I think just playing in that stadium and you know, obviously Arsenal's definitely a rival of ours and we won. So that helped too. And yeah, I I think that one was quite memorable. I think for country, I don't know. That's a tough one. There's, there's also a lot there. I think everyone expects you to say like a game that you won or like at a tournament. But I think in terms of team performances, I think we played the U S at BC place and, I don't even know what it was. Now it was like 2017 or something, but I think that was kind of a turning point for our team where we really started to try to play out and um, go at teams that were maybe we were punching above our weight a bit. And um, yeah, I can't remember what year it was, but there was yeah, there was a game against the U.S. Um, I think in Rio, the bronze medal game against Brazil. I think it can be quite challenging. When you've just lost a semifinal and you're kind of facing that disappointment of not being able to play in an Olympic final and having to turn the team around and um, get up for a game, a bronze medal game. And we played against Brazil in Brazil um, with, I think, like 60,000 screaming Brazilian fans. So just... And then our like fifteen Canadian parents way off in one corner, um, so that was really special as well because you know obviously we won that match and my dad was there, so being able to celebrate with family um, right after the match was really cool. So yeah, I I'd, I'd probably say that game that was really
1: special. Uh, w Soccer CA on Twitter wants to know: Canada Soccer lists ultra marathon runners as your role models and you just mentioned marathon runners, uh, not too long ago. Uh, what do you take away from sports? Like the ultra marathon?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think, I mean, I really like sports in general, so I've always been super interested in other sports. Um, Mm. I'm also really interested in tennis players and I think just there's always, I think little bits of advice or little gems you can take from other high performing athletes. Um, but yeah, I, I did, I did grow up in a running family. Both my parents ran marathons and ran cross country and my older brother, um, ran at university and my sister runs at university now. So, um, I think that running gene is kind of in the family. And, um, yeah, I think my brother was always super passionate about marathoners, ultra marathoners and different runners. And, um, yeah, as a younger sister, I just thought everything he did was cool. So I think I probably took that from him a little bit.
2: There's a lot of people that have, that, uh, have asked this, this uh, next question, but I took it from at London Chronicle 98. Uh, what's it like to play for Emma Hayes? What's it like to play for Emma Hayes?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think every, every manager is different. Um, I think... I think she's taught me a lot about how to win. Um, I think she's extremely competitive and demands a lot from us as players, but I think that's, you know, why our team has been so successful in the past. And I think that's why we get the most out of ourselves that, you know, the sessions that she puts on are always very competitive. And yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on, on being competitive, which isn't something that I'm necessarily used to. I think, um, yeah, just the degree of competitiveness is definitely, has definitely been a step up for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think I also appreciate how much she advocates for the women's game and advocates for the standards, um, that our team train and travel and, um, work in. Um, I think she's, a very important voice for the women's game in England. And um, I definitely really appreciate having that in, in a manager.
1: Danny underscore one, two, five, three wants to know, what's your next goal within football?
3: I don't think I necessarily have a super specific goal for me as an individual. I think definitely, you know, proud of how much I've improved since coming to Chelsea and what we've been able to accomplish with the national team. Um, even just this past year, I think for me, it's just about becoming, you know, more of a threat on the attack for, for both Canada and Chelsea, um, just having more of a hand in the attacking side of the game. And then I also think, I think just on the back of our conversation about tactics, just becoming more sophisticated and better on the defensive side of the ball and, um, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just excited to continue to tweak and improve my game in in little ways. And um, yeah, I think just continue to become more of an all-rounded player and hopefully contribute to to both club and country in, in positive ways. Um, and then, yeah, I think also just like how can I grow off the pitch as well and um, just explore different avenues of maybe ways that I can – give back to the, the game or, you know, improve the place where I'm at. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of room to grow.
2: At I am that dot K. Uh, has this question. How is Magda as a captain?
3: How is Magda as a captain? Mags is, Mags is a great captain. Um I can't speak highly enough about her. Um Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I really admire Mags. I think, she just sets the standard for the team in terms of you know how intense she is at training and how much she demands of herself um but yeah I don't know she's she's just a she's a good person and she's a she's a great friend and she's so passionate about the game I mean I feel like every time after we play it's been two or three minutes and she's already trying to analyze the whole game that just happened to me. And I'm like, Magda, I need, (laughs) I need a few minutes. So, um, but yeah, I mean, just like her passion for the game and her passion for her teammates really shines through. I think she's always trying to make sure everyone in our environment is well taken care of. And, you know, she wants everyone to feel confident. And, um, I think she really brings out the best in her teammates and She's always looking for little ways to to improve our environment, improve the culture on our team and asking tactical questions nonstop and loves watching the game. So, yeah, I I feel really thankful to be able to work with Megda and and have her as a friend. Um, yeah, I I really appreciate you know her role on the team and um yeah, just being able to be around her. Is,
1: is it is she, is she hard to go up against when you guys play against each other on national team level? Uh, t- well, to be fair, I,
3: I've only played against her once, having known her, um, which is also different because I don't know. So I think some I think it's kind of funny. Like if I see Magda on a pitch, I almost it's not that I want to laugh, but like she's one of my good friends, and so I. But yeah, I've only actually had to play against her once, which was this summer, having known her like on a closer. Um, level but yeah I mean she's a fantastic player I think she's very strong defensively and again like she gives her heart to every game so um, you know she's yeah you know she's going to give her best and yeah.
1: Uh, speaking of Magda we have a question from Magda who's not Magda <laughs> Eriksson this is somebody who just uses the name on a Discord um, do you have a special routine or are you superstitious at all before you know a game?
3: Uh No, so I'm actually really not superstitious. A lot of my teammates, both at Chelsea and at Canada, are, but I don't know. I've, I think there's probably some things I do sub, like subconsciously, but, um, there's nothing really that I like need to happen on game day, or I don't have any special pair of socks or sports bra or anything like that. I, I try to avoid being superstitious sorry (laughs) maybe not the answer they wanted to hear that's kind of (laughs) lame I feel bad Uh,
2: no that's okay we can take that Uh, so last question from the fans Uh, Wusu Charles he he has got a lot of ease in his at but let's leave those Uh, how do you prepare for a match day uh Like, so, like, what's my routine on match day? Yeah, sort of. Do you eat something special? Do you sleep eight hours or, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, I definitely like my sleep. And so I get, yeah, I get my nine hours. And then I think before the match, just very chill, low key morning. Typically like to go for a walk, kind of stretch the legs out. Um, and then. Yeah. I usually write down in my notebook, just a few things that I'm going to focus on for the game or, um, yeah, just a few words of confidence or something positive to myself. Um, and then, yeah, any post-match meal, just emphasis on carbs. So pasta or, or breads or rice, um, with the national team, we actually, I guess that is one superstition. We have pancakes for our pre-match meal, every meal. And so that is one thing that I'm quite picky about um, is my pancakes. But that's only with the national team. I don't need that here anyways. Um, but yeah, I'd say everything's very just like relaxed. Um, Janine, Becky, and I, who are typically roommates with the national team, will um, listen to country music before we leave our room. Um yeah, I don't know. Everything's just quite, quite chill. And then, yeah, go to the game and play the game and
1: win it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to skip to the end section. It's a uh, rapid fire, this or that, five questions. Okay. Um, a good slide tackle or a perfect interception? A uh, perfect interception. Dribbling your way out of pressure on your own or playing out of it with perfect one touch passes together with the teammate.
3: Oh, definitely tiki-taka. Coming
1: off from the bench to make an impact to get the win or be in the starting lineup where you either lose or draw. Oh, well, the
3: first one. Wait, you lose or draw in the second one? Yeah,
1: but you're not You're not oh, starting. Okay. You're starting, oh, well, but you the... lose or draw. Okay, well, I'd like
3: to win, so...
1: Uh, causing a tactical foul for the opponents or taking one yourself for the team to stop a counterattack. Taking one myself. Making an assist or scoring yourself. I like, I like to assist. I like to assist. And that was all for this episode. Jesse. thank you for being on. I hope you had fun. Yeah, thanks for having me.